Good morning, Mercy Road. How are you guys doing today? Yeah? Hey, it's so good to be with you all. Can we put our hands together also? Actually, let's go back. That was kind of weak. How are you guys doing this morning? There we go. That's a lot better. Hey, let's also welcome those that are joining online right now. So glad that you could join us and share this message live because you never know how God could use it to impact somebody. And if you're new with us, we say this all the time around here, but we believe that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. And that the church, we believe, should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, man, we're so glad that you showed up today anyways, or you're watching this online, and we believe that God wants to meet you right where you are today. No matter where that is, he wants to meet you right where you are. So would you just be open to that today as we jump into this message? And a few years ago, uh, the church that I was leading before coming here to Mercy Road, uh, we did this big event, partnered with another church. It was Halloween, so we decided redeem this, you know, pagan holiday, whatever, uh, make a big outreach event out of it, and we decided to take out all the chairs in our auditorium, did a trunk or treat event in there. It was decked out. There's like lights, there's smoke in there, all kinds of different stations you could go, tons of candy. Over a 1,000 people showed up to it from the community, which was awesome as an outreach event. But also, while the event was going on, we're all having a great time. Candy is just flowing everywhere, you know. So this is great. This is like your dream, ideal situation. Uh, for whatever reason, the playlist that we decided to put on that day, I don't know who on my team was running that, but ACDC's Highway to Hell started blasting <laughs> through the auditorium. So when we realized that you can imagine the horror... And all of us like bolted to the sound booth, go turn it off right, right away, go back to candy. Because if you know anything, it's that you don't talk about hell in church, right? And Pastor Josh mentioned last week that we were going to be talking about hell today as we continue in this series. And you know, I, I was thinking about this. I, I know it takes you a little while to catch on to things, but I think Pastor Josh is kind of messing with me a little bit, or maybe he just has like a sick sense of humor because since I've been here, Literally, my second sermon ever here at Mercy Road was on sex. And I was like, Josh, my in-laws go to this church, man. And he's like, I don't care. So I talked about sex. And then not too long after that, I talked about money. And then he gave me this week, which is talking about hell. So we're going to be doing that this morning. And I know you don't want to talk about it as much as I do. And so why are we talking about it? Why are we talking about hell? Why would, we, why would we talk about some of these hard things that nobody wants to talk about? Well, because it's in the Bible is why we're going to be talking about it. And guys, I know that we live in a day and age where people just want to hear what they want to hear. But here's my commitment and here's our commitment to you as your pastors is that we are going to do our best to faithfully preach God's word in all its fullness. And the day that we stop preaching God's word from this pulpit is probably the day that you should find another church because then we would just be giving you our opinion or some help, self-help or whatever it is. And guys, our commitment is to preach God's word because that's the truth that we stand on, that we submit ourselves to. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke uh, chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 31 as we continue in this series. And last week, we kicked off this series called The Afterlife, where we're talking about the resurrection happened, what comes after that, what now. If you're asking all these questions about after I die, 
what is going to happen with my life? What happens to me then? We're going to be answering some of those questions. And we're doing this series because we believe that what you believe about the afterlife actually impacts how you live today. So that's why we're going to be looking at that. And we talked last week with Pastor Josh, which wasn't that an amazing message, by the way, on death that he did last week? Yeah. I just thought it was so good and just so clarifying, a lot of things he answered and covered. And he talked about after death that our spirit goes to live on or our soul goes to live on because we're created in God's image and he breathed his breath of life in us. And so we're also uh, physical, but we're also soul and spirit as well. And that we go on to live on, even though the physical body might die. And there's two judgments that we looked at. The first one is a great white throne judgment that we read about. And that's basically where God is deciding who are the people who believed in Jesus? They get to spend eternity with him. Who are the people that didn't believe in Jesus that get to go to this place called hell that we're going to be talking about today? And then we talked about another judgment as well, which is the judgment uh, seat of Christ, which it, it, what we're doing with that is people that have finished the race. That's a term we talked about, the Bema seat judgment of Christ. People that finish a race, then they get to receive prizes where we as believers are going to actually receive rewards and crowns for how we did in this life that we were given with the time, the talents, the treasures that God entrusted us with. What did you do with it as a believer in Jesus Christ? So we talked about those things. And today we're going to be covering this topic of hell. And maybe you, uh, you've wondered before in your life, like if the dead could actually talk, if somebody came back from the dead and if they could talk, or if somebody dead were actually to talk and say something to you, what would they have to say to you about the afterlife? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But let me, let's, let me pray right now before we get started, just to invite God into this space to speak to us. Father, we just pause right now. I know that many of us, maybe this was a, this hectic morning, getting the kids ready, um, coming here, finding a parking spot, finding a chair, all these things going on in our minds. And as we just approach this really heavy topic that is so important for us and we just want to be obedient to your word as we talk about these things because they are in your word and we believe that it actually impacts how we can live for you today. God, I pray that you'd allow me to step out of the way. Would you just speak your words this morning and would you meet each and every person right where they are that they would just hear the word that you have for them today, whether in the room or online listening to this right now, would you meet them right where they are today in Jesus' name? And all God's people said, amen. You guys ready to study God's word? Come on, let's jump in. So Jesus tells this story in Luke 16, and it says, uh, there, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Everybody say sumptuously. Look at your neighbor and say, you're looking sumptuously today. I don't even know what that means, but we're going to go with it. Um, and at his, at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus. And this is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. This is a different Lazarus, and Jesus is just sharing this parable. There was a poor man named Lazarus who laid at his gate, covered with sores. So this guy is covered in fine linen and purple clothing, which back in that day, what he was covered in could literally be somebody's wages for like an entire year. And he's feasting every day. He has an overabundance, oversupply of everything. And he's got this poor man, Lazarus, who's covered in sores, who lays by his gate every single day. And it says that Lazarus desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Like back in that day, they would even sometimes clean their hands with like bread. And so even those crumbs that they would clean their hands with, they would throw it out to the dogs to eat it. And he's saying that Lazarus was desiring even that. And yet the rich man gave him nothing. And it says even more so, the dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. And the poor man died 
and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. This is talking about heaven here for a Jewish audience. They would have understood that. So he's carried off by the angels to Abraham's side. And it says the rich man also died and was buried. And he finds himself in Hades being in torment. And he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And he sees Lazarus at his side. Again, back to last week, we talked about how we're all destined to live once, to die once. That's certain for every single one of us, we will all die. And when we die, then comes judgment as scripture talks about. And depending on what you did in this life, there's two different destinies that we have. One is carried off to Abraham's side, which is heaven, which by the way, Pastor Josh will be talking about that next week. Can you guys believe that he gave himself heaven and gave me hell to talk about? <laughs> Like my next sermon, I'm going to talk about Disney and how I love unicorns to so give me an easy one here. So we talked about these two places in heaven we're going to get into next week. And then there's this other place called Hades that this rich man now finds himself in. And if you're taking notes this morning, if the dead could talk, they would tell you this, that hell is real. I know that's a hard truth. I know my maybe temptation this morning is to give you candy and not talk to you about hell and the path that leads to hell, but it's true, and it's in scripture, and that's what I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to try to make any excuses for God or excuses for his word. I'm just going to do my best to present the truth to you and let God's word do what is it intended to do, and if you're reading the scriptures, you will realize very quickly that this concept, this idea of hell is very much a real thing that you find all throughout the scriptures, but many have struggled with that. If you're struggling with that this morning, many have struggled with that. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who you might know as a great theologian, said this, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than the doctrine of hell. And many of us might feel that way. Like, I, I'm okay to talk about God. I want to talk about Jesus all day long and how he loves us, but just don't make me talk about hell. But hell is, in fact, a real uh, thing that we read about in the scriptures. And Jesus is using parables here, which is stories that are meant to communicate very real truths to us. And he's communicating that hell is actually a real place. And one of the places that you might find yourself in the afterlife, depending on what you did in this life. And in the Old Testament, all throughout, it talks about this concept of Sheol or Hades sometimes is another word that the Bible uses to reference hell. And Hades is used 11 times in the Bible. And then uh, the other word that you have for hell as well is the word Gehenna, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But that term is used 12 times in the New Testament because hell is an actual real place that you read about in the scriptures. But it gets even worse than that. If you're taking notes this morning, if the dead could talk, what would they say to us? They would say to you that hell is far worse than anything you can imagine. Hell is far worse than you can imagine. Take a look. Let's jump back into the story. Verse 24. The rich man being in torment in Hades cries out to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool down my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. It's really interesting to find that even in Hades, even in hell, this guy is still entitled. Like, hey, send, send uh, Lazarus to come and serve me. Do something for me. And look at Abraham's response. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received all your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us as well. So hell is far worse than anything you can imagine. 
Uh, last week I was mowing my yard and I get on the, I get on the mower and I put my AirPods in and, you know, usually it's a little bit of T-Swift going for me. Anybody, any Swifties in the room? Come on now. Hey, she just went through a breakup. So, you know, the next album is about to be fire. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. So I decided to take a little break. Uh, anybody over 50, T-Swift is Taylor Swift. She's an artist. And uh, Swifties are people that like her music. So just need to clarify that. So I decided to take a little break from that. I'm like, let me go see what's happening. What are kids listening to these days? And let me go on the Apple's like top 100, whatever songs of the year or something like that. I go on there, open up the playlist, hit shuffle. And then this song comes on and it's a lady, and she's talking about this breakup that she just went through and her ex, and it's a pop song, but I'm like, man, this is kind of giving me country vibes a little bit here, and I'm like, I can get down with some country. I know how this plays out. She's going to take her keys, go carve up his truck, take a Louisville slugger to both headlights. I know how this is going to go. But then she starts talking about, ah, maybe I might want to kill my ex, and I'm like, ooh, now this is interesting. I can get down with that. Dramatic. I like it. So the song goes on and she's talking about, like, I'm thinking about doing this thing because I'd rather be in jail than, like, be alone and all that. And then towards the end of the song, she says the words, I just killed my ex. It's not the best idea, but I'd rather be in hell than be lonely. And in that moment, I just wanted to scream, no, you would rather not. See, we live in a day and age that has kind of minimized this idea of hell. Like, it's just a thing that we play around with. Like, you literally have, like, the church of Satan that is, uh, you know, idealizing this. And it's like, well, it couldn't really be that bad, right? And sometimes we talk about hell. Like, it's just not really this bad place or whatever. But, man, here, let, me, let me share with you how Scripture actually talks about hell, that it is far worse than anything you can imagine. Here are some key verses. Matthew 25 talks about hell as being a place of eternal punishment that literally never stops. Matthew 8, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 9, it's a bottomless pit of hopelessness. Revelation Revelation 14, 10 through 11, it's a place of eternal torment. Revelation 21, it's a second death. You thought dying once was bad? Imagine dying twice. That's what hell is like. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 9, it's a place of eternal destruction and exclusion from the face of the Lord forever. Literally where God turns his face away from you. And even some of the common graces that we enjoy in our life today, how God still continues to care for even the wicked and awful people, whatever it is, all those things are removed and all that is replaced with is the hopelessness and despair and torment and anguish like you could never imagine. That's how the scriptures present hell to us, actually. Let me summarize that for you. Here's some ways that scripture talks about hell. It's a place of conscience torment. Like the man in the story that we read about, he is actually fully conscious, fully aware of his mistake that he didn't choose to live for God while he was alive and he ended up in this place. He is fully conscious of that. It's a place that is irreversible or permanent. Abraham says there's a chasm that has been fixed between us to allow none to cross from here to there and vice versa, meaning that once you are in hell, there's no redemption where you can get out of hell and go to heaven somehow and vice versa. Once you're in heaven, you're in heaven, you're there for good and it's permanent, irreversible and it's eternal, meaning it goes on literally forever and hell is the opposite of heaven. See, sometimes we think about like, you know, heaven and hell, like, yeah, you know, heaven is kind of like the people in the afterlife that are going to be in the first class, you know, and they get like a full meal on the flight. 
and their towels are like warm and nice and you know, all those things and they get special treatments, free drinks, everything is included in it. And hell is maybe like, you know, economy class, you get the dry crackers, you got to pay for your own water and your napkins are dry, right? That's kind of how we tend to think about hell sometimes, that it's a lesser heaven. But no, the scriptures actually present hell as the opposite of heaven. That all the amazing things that Pastor Josh is going to talk about next week that you get to experience in heaven where God's full blessing and his glory and you get to be with him forever and there's joy and there's no more sickness and pain and suffering and there's hope and all these things that are realized in heaven, the exact opposite actually are true for hell. That it's a place of hopelessness and despair and loneliness like you could not even begin to imagine. That's how the scriptures talk about it. And again, guys, I would much rather give you candy this morning and tell you it's all good. Just eat and be merry and don't worry about it. But this is scripture and I'm doing my best just to be faithful this morning and just teach what scripture actually tells us. And you might be finding yourself right now wrestling with that. Like how could a loving God actually do something like that? And in fact, some theologians or people throughout history have tried to find different ideas to justify this whole idea of hell. So here's some different views that they've given on hell. Like one is if you're maybe you grew up in a Roman Catholic background, it talks about purgatory, that hell is maybe a temporary thing that you get to go there and you, you do your time kind of like jail. And once you've done your time, you can get out of it. And again, if you look at the scriptures, that's just not what the scriptures talk about. The other theory too is the whole annihilation view of it, which means that people go to hell, souls go to hell, where eventually they are completely destroyed and they just cease to exist. And again, you read this man that he is fully conscious and aware and his soul goes on to live forever. As we talked about last week, that's another view. And then there's a third view, which is the metaphorical view of hell, which says that, well, the fire and the flames and the suffering are more like metaphors that it's talking about. Like maybe the fire is going to be more a burning within your heart, desiring God, and you can't really have him. And so you're going to have this like fire within you. And again, if we just want to be faithful to what the scriptures teach, we're going to see that hell is far worse than anything that you can imagine. It is real. It is permanent. It is irreversible. And it is eternal. And you might be finding yourself right now thinking, how could a loving God who loves us so much possibly create such an awful place and send people there? Like, what, what do I do with that? How do I reconcile that? You might be wrestling with that right now as well. So if the dead could talk, number three, they would tell us this, that hell was created by God to justly deal with evil. Hell was created by God to justly deal with evil. In fact, Scripture tells us that God created hell, not for you and I, but for the devil and all his demons and angels. In Matthew 25, it says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was created for the devil as a way for God to rightly deal with all the evil that he has caused in our world. Because you go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the garden where God creates this amazing paradise for us to live with him forever. And the devil steps in and he tempts Adam and Eve to rebel from God. And it leads to so much brokenness and sin and evil in our world that you can't even begin to imagine. I mean, just read the Old Testament. Literally in that next chapter, you see a brother who's rising up and killing his own brother. And the Old Testament, which records the history of some of the things that we've seen, is just so horrifying to read about the kind of evil that takes place. 
And in fact, that term that we looked at, Gehenna, uh, which Jesus uses 12 times to talk about hell, Gehenna. No, it's not the tattoo that you put on your skin. Somebody's grandma right now is like, see, I told you tattoos are from the devil. No, that's not what we're talking about. Gehenna, uh, if you'll read about, is actually a, it's a valley that is outside of Jerusalem. Um, and it's a place where in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings, we're going to look at here in a second, some of these kings were so corrupt and evil in the sight of God that they literally began to sacrifice their own children, to burn them alive, sacrifice them to this false god, Moloch, which they were uh, worshiping during that time. Look at what it says in 2 Kings, verse 16. It says, speaking of Ahaz, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his own sons as, as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations who, who the Lord drove out before them. Manasseh does the same thing as well. And it says, he, in 2 Kings 21, 6, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking the Lord to anger. And if those examples of evil sound like they are so far off and something ancient in the Old Testament to you, how about the shooting that just happened in Nashville just a few weeks ago? Where literally somebody would plot and make a plan to go into an elementary school and to kill and claim the lives of innocent children and teachers that are just going about their day. And if you don't look at those things and something inside you makes you a little bit angry, like how could this be? And if there's nothing inside you crying out for justice, then maybe you just don't realize the evil that we have in the world that we're living in today. But it's a reality that we just live in a fallen world and every evil that you see around us has been caused by the enemy, the devil, who literally through sin has corrupted so many. And his goal, he knows that he's going to hell, but his goal is to take as many people as possible with him. And hell is God's response to say enough is enough. I am going to step in and do something about it. See, I'm a parent and I've got some kids. And man, if you were to, if you were to harm one of my kids, I, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to throw hands like straight up. Did my pastor just say that? Yes, I absolutely just said that. I would be throwing hands because I'm a husband and a father before I am a pastor. Besides, throwing hands is hands on ministry anyways, and I believe in that. <laughs> but guys, hell is God as a father, as your heavenly father. Seeing all the harm and the hurt that his children have endured at the hands of evil and saying, enough is enough. I'm going to throw hands. I'm going to step in and deal with this once and for all and actually carry out justice. That he's a loving God, but he is also just. And hell is his way of dealing with that. And what you don't see the man in the story here doing is telling God, oh, it's so unfair that I'm here in Hades and suffering right now. He knows that what he has gotten is what he deserved because of the evil and wickedness that he carried out in his life. Because God is a loving God, but he is also a just God. And this is his way of dealing with that and protecting, in fact, you and I. So maybe if you're struggling to, to reconcile, how, how, how do I reconcile? Just think of God as your heavenly father who loves you, stepping in to protect you, to eradicate evil once and for all. That is why he created hell, to deal with evil justly. And if the dead could talk to us, what would they say? Number four, they would say that what we do now matters. Take a look at the rest of the story. He said, I beg you, Father Abraham, send me to my father's house for I have five brothers so that, they, that I may warn them lest they also end up in this place of torment like me. That this dead man finds himself in Hades and 
the thing that is priority for him is saying, hey, can you just send somebody to my household? Go warn my brothers because they have no idea how they're living right now. What they are doing with the life that they have right now matters so much. And I do not want them to end up in the same place that I am today. What we do now matters tremendously. And guys, I just have to confess that I'm a pastor and all that. And I've been in the church my whole life. And sometimes it's easy for me to forget that eternity is actually a reality that the reality of heaven and hell are actually real things. And I believe the gospel with everything in me and believe that Jesus came and he died for my sin. I put my faith in that so that I could spend eternity in heaven with him. But a lot of times I just tend to forget that in the way that I live. So I get, to, I, I get hung up in all these day-to-day things that ultimately literally do not matter. That I can just get so busy and there's the next thing I got to do and pursue things that literally do not matter when it comes to eternity. And I begin to overlook the people that God has placed in my path to share my faith with them. And I just wonder, maybe you are in the same place as me and I don't want to judge you. I'm putting myself in that category as well. And maybe today God is just convicting us and saying that, hey, what we do actually matters. Like when you rub shoulders with people like heaven and hell, like literally hang in the balance. And we know that the only way somebody makes it into heaven is if they believe in Jesus. And he's given you that message to be able to share that with somebody. And oftentimes you say, well, I'm just so busy. I just got to get to the next thing. Or God, I'm just, I, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to talk to people that are strangers. Oh, well, if I just were to go knock on my neighbor's door, introduce myself, talk to them, whatever it is, get to know them, to share my faith with them, they would find that weird because nobody does that anymore. And Guys, all these things that we could give as excuses ultimately do not matter when it comes to eternity that heaven and hell are literally hanging in the balance. So how should that change how maybe you go back to your place of work tomorrow with the people that you rub shoulders with every single day that maybe you share a cubicle with and you've just never bothered to actually stop and talk to them? What what do you believe about this eternity? And just to share your faith with them. Not, not, Not to judge them, but to in a loving way invite them to, hey, like, I actually believe this stuff and here's how it's changed my life. And can I just share that with you? What we do right now matters tremendously. So can I just encourage us that maybe God is just convicting all of us right now that we can, we can do better. We can do better church and we can take this stuff more seriously actually in our lives. And when you read the scriptures, we oftentimes think about Jesus as being the most loving person that you can read about in the scriptures. And it might surprise you that Jesus talked about hell more than any other person in the scriptures, which you're like, okay, what do I do with that? Jesus actually talked about hell way more than any other person in the scriptures. Yes, he did. Go look it up. If you don't take my word for that, go look it up and you'll find that. But what might surprise you is that most of Jesus's teaching and when, we ta- when he talked about hell and all these warnings about hell a lot was that he wasn't doing it to the people that were sinners or not believers a lot of his really pointed teachings, including the one we just read today about hell, was actually directed to the religious people. So I think that all of us in here that consider ourselves, maybe church people need to take this seriously today. And why is it that Jesus talked about hell so much and he talked about it so much to the religious people? As we wrap this up today, maybe as some application, number one, I believe that he talked about hell so much to the religious people as a warning against those that might fall into this camp that I would call the self-righteous. Meaning that at one point, we surrender our lives to Jesus and we say, yes, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And somewhere along the line, we begin to fall back into the spirit of religion, which is what every other religion in the world teaches you. If you just do enough good things, 
then hopefully you can make it into heaven. And somehow in our foolishness, we begin to think that we could ever measure up to that standard of God's holiness to be holy as he is holy. Not realizing that any works, anything you and I could do, whether church attendance or giving or serving whatever to earn our way into heaven compared to God's standard of holiness would look like filthy rags. So we begin to deceive, our, deceive ourselves and fall into this kind of self-righteousness. And by the way, that was the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law that Jesus is talking to back in the day. And the gospel comes in and simply crushes any hope that you and I might have in our own works. It tells us this in Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That if your plan for judgment day is to stand before God and say, well, God, I did this, man, that's going to be a bad day for you. But if your plan is to stand before God someday and say, God, I, I know that I fall short of your glory, but God, I, I, I chose to trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross for my salvation, man, that's going to be a great day for you. And you can live your life without the fear of judgment day because what Jesus did on the cross for us was enough. And we begin to fall into the self-righteousness. And today, can I just maybe challenge you to, to give up on that and to turn to Jesus and to continue to put your faith in him? And number two, why did Jesus talk about hell so much to the religious people? Number two is because it's a warning to the self-deceived. See, we don't talk about sin anymore in our churches today. We don't talk about holiness and how God is holy and he's called us to be holy and how we should actually live our lives and obey his word and everything he's called us to do. The gospel that we tend to preach to people is this. Hey, you just raise your hand, pray a prayer, believe in Jesus, and then do nothing else with your life. Like nothing else matters. And you read the scriptures and over and over again, there's a real serious warning against that cheap kind of grace that says, I can go say, I believe in Jesus, live my life however I want, selfishly, sinfully, and then they expect that someday I'm going to stand in judgment before God and say, well, I believe in Jesus, I'm good. We don't realize that Jesus paid a price that cost him everything on the cross for us. And we begin to cheapen his grace, the sacrifice that he made for us. Because Jesus, when he encountered people that recognized who he was as the son of God, who believed in him, he would tell them that their sins are forgiven. And he would also tell them this, to go and to sin no more. So we begin to allow sin into our lives and we're just playing with sin. And we don't realize that we are playing literally with fire when it comes to that. Again, I want to give you candy this morning, but I'm just, again, going to go back to God's word and actually just read from God's word to you to talk about how seriously we should take sin in our lives. And here's some verses for you. First John 3, 7, it says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason God, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. This is not talking about that maybe I made a mistake. I did something I shouldn't have done. This is talking about people that willingly make a practice of sinning in their lives. And they know that it is sin and they continue to engage with it. Practice it on and on and on. And here's what sin will do. Sin is corrupting. Sin is compounding in your life as well. It will take you to a place where your heart becomes so hardened that those, th those things that bothered you before don't even bother you anymore. And at that point, your heart is so hardened that there's a real warning and a danger against the dangers of sin in your life. Take a look at another verse again. These are not my words. This is just scripture. Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, 
practicing sin, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of the fire that will consume the adversaries. Guys, this is the whole reason why you should sign up for Rooted this week. Like when you walk out those doors, go to the Connect Center, sign up for Rooted. If you're not in a huddle, get into a huddle because in those places, those spaces that we've created is to intentionally disciple you, to deal with the real messy stuff in your life that nobody wants to talk about, to make sure that sin doesn't have dominion and control and doesn't become a stronghold in your life. Because guys, sin will corrupt you. It will continue to compound in your life and harden your heart so much towards God. Your conscience will become seared so much to the point that there's a real danger for your soul. And it would not be right for me to talk about hell and the real dangers of hell without at least presenting that to you as truth from God's word today. So can I just plead with you, if that's you and you're engaging whatever it is in your life today, not out of a place of condemnation for you. I have my own sins as well, but out of a place of love for you. I just want to call you and challenge you to repent today. Get with some people that can come alongside you, help you on this journey to deal seriously with the sin in your life. Because Jesus tells us that if your right eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out because it'd be better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than it is to burn in hell forever because sin has a serious effect on your soul. How's that for a message? Right? And as we close today, I just want to present to some of you in here as well just the opportunity to make a commitment today to follow Jesus. I don't, I don't talk about all this to scare you out of hell into, into heaven somehow, but to present to you the truth of God's word that in the afterlife, literally we're faced with those two options. And you choose, are you going to believe in Jesus and spend eternity with God forever? Or are you going to choose to reject God today and to go to that place that we just talked about, hell today, which is a place of awful suffering, hopelessness, loneliness, like you could not even begin to imagine. And the scripture tells us that if anyone calls upon the name of Jesus, they will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever, no matter what you've done, no matter what is in your life right now, no matter what is in your past, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I want to present you the opportunity to respond today. So would you bow your heads with me? If that's you in the room and you say, I want to make a commitment today to follow Jesus. I recognize that I have not been living my life for God. Maybe I would say I'm far away from God. Maybe at one time I believed, but I wandered so far away from God. And today I believe that he sent his son into this world to die on the cross for my sin. And I want to choose to believe in Jesus, place my faith in him, put my trust in him for my salvation. If that's you in the room, would you go ahead and raise your hand right now? Just go ahead and raise your hand right now for me to see it. If that's you in the room. Yes, over here on my right. Yes, I see you over there. Anybody else? Raise your hand in the room right now. If that's you and you want to just respond to that simple gospel message. Yes, I see you over here. Anybody else in here? Yes, I see you over here. Young man, you can put your hand down. Maybe talk to your parents about that as well. Anybody else in here want to make that commitment today? And if that's you, just pray something like this with me right now. Uh, God, I thank you for loving me. Even when I was far away from you, God, thank you for sending your son to the cross that he suffered the death that I deserved so that I could live the life that he now offers. And I trust Jesus today as my Lord and my Savior. God, on this day, help me to live my life for you from this day forward. And God, I thank you so much for 
welcoming me into your family. And let me pray over you. Father, you saw those that raised a hand right now. I just want to pray over them. As your word says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Would that be true in their life? Would you help them to overcome the sin in their life and to live the life that you have bought with the price of your son? whom you offered up for our salvation. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us into your family. Thank you for the amazing hope that we have in the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected. When we believe that, that we get to spend eternity with you in heaven, as we're gonna talk about next week. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your family. And we pray now all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can we celebrate those that made a decision today?